Let's turn to God's Word. Jeremiah 23 is our Old Testament reading this morning. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8, page 896, if you'd like to follow in the church Bible. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8. Hear God's holy word. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You've scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds. They shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which you will be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. In our New Testament reading, John chapter 10 Verses 11 through 16. The words of our Lord Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's ask his blessing on it. Our God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, make us. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. We're continuing to consider this topic of shepherding. We're starting these shepherding groups, a way for us to, to make sure we're caring for every member of the church, giving spiritual care and oversight, because that's what we think God has called us to do. Now, we, we don't want this to be um, just a pragmatic thing, just something that we thought up as a good idea. Uh, because we didn't. Uh, that's not how we want to structure our ministry or, or structure the life of this church at all, is it? We want our church to be built on the word of 
God. We, we want to have a ministry that's shaped by the Word of God. You know, that Word is sufficient and, and, and clear for us about, about what the Gospel is, what the church is, and, and how we should minister in this church, and how we should serve side by side in this church. And that's what we're trying to do here in this brief little series, three weeks of sermons. Uh, we're, we're looking at the biblical foundation for why we should have uh, shepherding groups and trying to build up on that foundation to the, the practical implications for a biblical shepherding ministry here at the church. Last Lord's Day, we looked at Ezekiel 34, and you probably heard echoes there in the text in Jeremiah 23, very similar text, saying the same kind of thing to the people of Israel, uh, condemning their, their shepherds, their leaders, who'd, who'd been serving for their own interests, not for the good of the flock and not for God's sake. And when we saw in Ezekiel 34 especially that the Lord himself says, I will be the shepherd of my people. Um, he, he puts away the, 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 the bad shepherds, the bad leaders, and he himself comes and he says, I will shepherd my people. I'll care for them. I'll feed them. I'll go seek them when they're lost and bind them up when they're hurting and heal them. And, and we also saw there in Ezekiel 34 that the Lord himself promises to do this. And he also promises to send someone uh, who will be like David, a shepherd king, to do this for him, for the flock of God. And here in John chapter 10, our text this morning, that's what we see, isn't it? Christ comes, and with Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 loud in the background, he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the promised shepherd king who was to come. We see how Jesus himself is our shepherd here. So we're going to look at this text. We're going to look at what Jesus says about what characterizes how he is the shepherd. What kind of shepherd is he? How does he shepherd the flock? And then we're going to think about what that means for us, what it, what it means for the elders here, what it means for me, what it means for all of us as those under Christ, the good shepherd. So we're going to think through those things together. Three headings as we work through the text this morning. The first is the good shepherd. The second will be the dying shepherd. The third, the knowing shepherd. The good shepherd, the dying shepherd, and the knowing shepherd. So first, the good shepherd. Jesus identifies himself clearly here in verse 11, then again in verse 14, as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is one of the great I am sayings of John's gospel. The whole gospel of John is punctuated and structured around these sayings of Jesus, where he, he, he shows people who he is, and then he speaks about who, he's, who he is, and he says, I am something. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd here. When he says here, when he says, I am, he's not using those words casually or carelessly. Those aren't just filler words. Uh, he's, he's identifying himself with God of the Old Testament, right? Think of what, what's God's name, right? Is he, in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses at the burning bush, and what's the name that he gives to Moses to tell the people? I am. Yahweh, 
The God who is. Defined only by Himself. The God who is faithful as the covenant God. I am. So when Jesus comes in, in the Gospel and He says, I am. Those aren't throwaway words. They're rich with significance. And the people of Israel understood that clearly. You don't see other people in the Bible talking like this. Think of the greatest heroes of, of the Old Testament. Right? They, don't, they don't go and they don't say, I am something, and then you fill in the blank. Right? Moses doesn't say, I am the shepherd of Israel. David doesn't say that. They don't identify themselves as, 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 as that. Solomon doesn't. The prophets don't. What do, what do we see the other heroes of Scripture saying? Have mercy on me. Woe is me. I am a servant of the Lord. But Jesus comes and He says, I am. Identifying Himself with Yahweh. And the Jews recognize this. They pick up stones in other, in other situations when Jesus says these sorts of things. They're furious with Him and they pick up stones to kill Him because He's making Himself equal with God and they see that. They recognize only God can say that name and, 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 and say that He is God Himself. But Jesus isn't just identifying Himself as, as I am Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, as He says, I am. He also says this, as He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Right? We saw this back in Ezekiel 34 last week. Who is it who is the, the Good Shepherd? The Good Shepherd of the people of Israel. It's the Lord. You have other shepherds. Moses is called a shepherd. David is called a shepherd. But the Good Shepherd... Only the Lord, God Himself, could say that. Jesus is saying, I am the Good Shepherd. Everything that God is, and everything God is as the Shepherd of His people, Jesus is. Jesus is your Shepherd, loved ones. If you're trusting in Him, if you're a Christian, Jesus is the I am, your Good Shepherd. What does this mean for us? What's, what, what's a shepherd? Right? That's not a metaphor we use a lot in our day-to-day. What, what was a shepherd in the, in the Bible? Well, it was a metaphor, of course, for leadership. Kings are called shepherds, both in Scripture and in um, the ancient Near East more generally. Other, other cultures called their leaders shepherds. What's a king do? Well, he protects you, doesn't he? He keeps you safe. He, he fends off the enemy. He, 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 he guards you. Jesus is the one who is that for us, who protects us. He's the one who who keeps us safe from all enemies and all harm. Who can harm us if He protects us? A king, a leader, a shepherd is also the one who's in charge. So if Jesus is our good shepherd, it means that we obey Him, that He commands us. There's duty there. There's also great freedom there, isn't there? He is the one who tells me how to live my life. No one else. He is the one who commands me. I follow Him. That's what a shepherd is. But there's another, there's another way the shepherd metaphor is applied. In the Old Testament, it's especially applied to leaders and kings. In the New Testament, where do we see the shepherd metaphor applied? We see it applied to pastors. It's what the word pastor literally means. From the Latin, it means a shepherd. We see this made explicit in 1 Peter 5, 
1 through 2. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is our pastor. We can say that. There's a sense in which, yes, he raises up a human pastor, but Jesus is the one who pastors his people. He's the chief shepherd, as 1 Peter 5, 3 goes on to say. Right? Who's, who's our pastor? We have human pastors, but Jesus himself is the one who teaches us, feeds us, leads us, protects us, guides us, commands us. What does this mean for us, loved ones? Jesus is the good shepherd. What does that mean for us as, as members of a church? Well, it means that as we submit to human shepherds that God has put in place, we do so out of reverence, not for them so much, but for Christ. We see they're an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. It's, it's him, Jesus, to whom I submit as I submit to the leaders in the church. This means that, uh, that, that if we, when we listen to the teaching and the, the, the counsel of the elders and the pastor, as we speak what God says in his word, we're listening to Jesus shepherd us and pastor us himself. It means in, in the preaching of the word, whose, whose word is this? It's Christ's word as it's faithful to the text. Who, who administers the Lord's Supper to us? Jesus does. He's the one who's really administering the Supper. This is implications for us as well, doesn't it, as we think about when our leadership lets us down or offends us or sins against us. We're not depending on those leaders. We're depending on Christ, the Good Shepherd. And so our faith isn't shaken and crushed when, when the human shepherds God's put in place fail and fall and stumble and offend us. Because, because ultimately Jesus himself is our shepherd, our pastor. We trust in him. We don't, we don't make uh, elders or pastors or, or anybody a, a savior. Only Christ is that. You can't have too high expectations for this pastor. For Jesus. You can't demand too much of his time and attention. This also means something for under shepherds, doesn't it? For elders, for the pastor. It means that we are under authority. We are, we are here as servants of Jesus. He tells us what to do and we do it and nothing else in the church. We don't, have, we don't get to have our own opinions really about what we feed the flock. We feed the flock what he tells us to. We don't have our own opinions, really, about where we lead the flock. We go where he tells us to go by his word. Jesus is the shepherd. We are under shepherds. It means we never lead people to ourselves. We lead people to Christ, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He's the Savior that we all need. So Jesus is the good shepherd. Notice also, brothers and sisters, what kind of a shepherd is Jesus? What, does he, what word does he use to, to describe himself and his shepherding ministry here? Look, look at the text there. He says he is what? He's the good shepherd. He could have chosen another word. He, he could have said, I'm the true shepherd, the real shepherd. I'm, the, I'm the, the chief shepherd. I'm the great shepherd, the eternal shepherd. But what does he choose? He says, I am the good shepherd. 
Do you believe him when he says that, loved ones? He says, I am good as your shepherd. Where is, where is he leading us? Where is he leading you? What, what pastures is he bringing you through? What deep, dark valley is he bringing you through? He's good. Trust him. Trust his goodness. He knows the way. He knows what's best. It's easy for us to doubt that as we, as we go through periods of suffering and trial. It can feel like we don't often get to rest by the green pastures and the still waters that were too long in the valley. He's good. He's our shepherd. He knows what we need. How do we know that he's good? That's where Jesus goes next, isn't it? Verse 11 to 13, he says that he is the dying shepherd. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Look at me at our second heading here, verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here's what it means when Jesus says that he's good and he's our shepherd. It means he lays down his life for us. Willingly, intentionally, actively, he determines to lay down his life for us. He's contrasting his ministry, his leadership here, with the leadership of the, uh, the, the other leaders in Israel at the time. He, he's comparing his ministry to that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who are, who are leading the people wrong, leading the people for their own sake. He, he, compares, this to, uh, he compares them to hired hands, to hirelings, to, to mercenaries who are only there for the money. When the wolf comes... These hired workers run. Right? Their, their interest is in themselves. And as soon as the, the, uh, the pay doesn't look worth it anymore, they're out. Uh, they, they, they run as soon as the wolves come, leaving the flock wide open to every kind of attack. The wolves rush in, seize the sheep, scatter the sheep, hunt the sheep down. The hired hands are nowhere to be found. These are the leaders who are opposing Jesus. This is what they're doing. Most of all, by opposing Jesus, right? By, by telling people he's not the Messiah, by, by spreading lies about him and, and resisting him. And these leaders are actually in the audience here, as Jesus says these words in John 10. You know, if you look back at chapter 9, chapter 9 is an extended argument with these leaders. As they, they, are, they, are, they are ticked off that Jesus has healed a blind man and shown himself to be the light of the world. They're frustrated and upset and angry with him. And he is upset with them. And he, he tells them here that they are like these shepherds that are hired hands, and as soon as the wolf comes, they run. Jesus' last words to the Pharisees in chapter 9 are these. He says to them, your sin remains. He's telling them they're blind to, to who he is. They're refusing to see him. And some of these same Pharisees are right here in the crowd as Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. Unlike these hired hands. That's who the, the enemies are here. You can hear the echoes, can't you, of Ezekiel 34, which we read last week. Jesus is applying this text, those prophecies, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23. He's applying it to himself as the good shepherd. He's also applying the woe and the curse to the leaders of Israel, isn't he? Ezekiel 34. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? 
You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. Jesus is applying those words here to the false leaders and teachers of Israel in his own day. It's a warning to us too, isn't it? It's a warning especially to the leadership here, to to, to myself, to the elders, to the deacons, not to be like these leaders who are in it for ourselves. This is God's flock, Jesus' flock, not ours. We serve for his sake. In contrast with these shepherds who run away from the wolves, of course, is Jesus. He doesn't run from the wolves. He runs to meet the wolves. He gets between the flock and the wolves. He stands between them and he lays down his life defending his flock. Right, The picture there of David in the Old Testament defending his sheep from the lions and the bears, rushing out with his sling and his stone uh, to, to, to fight them. Jesus is is our good shepherd because he's willing to lay himself down for us. But Jesus isn't just saying, I'm the kind of shepherd that when the wolves come, runs to meet them and fight them so the sheep won't be injured. He's not just the kind of shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for us if the possibility comes, if if that should happen. Uh, He's not just uh, willing to put himself in the way of danger. He actually goes and chooses death for us. That word there, it says he lays down his life or he gives his life. It means he appoints himself to this task. He does it intentionally as an act of his will. Right? This isn't like you know David runs out to meet Goliath, right? Sling and stone, ready to take him on, realizing there's a possibility, if the Lord wills, that he won't make it. But Jesus goes out and he lays down his life. He surrenders his life as an act of his will. Not just the possibility that he'll die, but the reality that he will die for us. He chooses it. Why does he do this? Well, he knows that his life is the price of our redemption. That we are sinners. The sheep are sinners. They don't deserve to be sheep in God's flock. Sacrifice must be made. He goes and makes it. God's justice must be satisfied. Jesus goes and he satisfies that justice to the death. This is how the wolves are defeated. By Jesus dying for his sheep and then rising again as the great conqueror over death. Why does he do it, loved ones? Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that precious? This isn't an abstract idea. This isn't something Jesus just decided to do for an abstract group. Something he did for his sheep, with them in his mind, as individuals, and as a church as a whole, with all his elect, with with you on his mind. He laid down his life for you. So we can't doubt his goodness, can we? We shouldn't, should we? We've seen what he's done. He's rushed out to meet the wolves for us and die for us. He's the good shepherd. 
But not only is he not only is he our good shepherd, verses fourteen to sixteen add to the picture here of who he is as our good shepherd. He says that he is the shepherd who knows his sheep. And this is our third point the knowing shepherd. Verses fourteen to sixteen. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my own know me. Jesus knows his sheep. What does he mean when he says that? Does he mean that he knows every detail about them? He knows their personalities and their interests, their favorite color, and what they eat for cake on their birthday, and their DNA, the details down to the, the, the deepest level? Yes, he does. He knows everything about his people, every single detail. But the the sense here isn't so much that he knows us exhaustively and completely. That's true. But the sense is more that that he loves his sheep. He knows them intimately as a man knows his friend, as as a father knows his son, or a husband and wife know one another. This word know is a personal word. It's a relational word. So Jesus is saying, I am not a stranger to my sheep. I know them, and they know me. He, he knows us better than, than parents know children, and better than husbands and wives who've been married for 50 years know each other. His relationship is closer. He is a friend for his sheep. He loves us. This relationship with him, he, he makes it clear here, it's not just a one-way thing. It's not just that he knows us, but he also makes himself known to us so that we know him. He gives himself to us. Verse 14b, I am known by my own. Back in verse 5, uh, which was not part of the text we read, but it's part of the context here. Jesus says that his sheep recognize his voice. That he calls and they hear and they know him. That's how shepherds in the ancient Near East shepherded. They had a call, and the sheep knew that call. And if someone else mimicked it, they wouldn't go. They'd only listen to the voice of their shepherd calling them. They recognized his voice. They knew his voice. And Jesus is saying, that's how my sheep know me. That's how my people know me. It's an intimate relationship. It's a glorious thing, right? Remember we were saying, who is this Jesus? He said, I am. This is Yahweh, the great I am. And he says, I am have a personal, intimate relationship with each of my people. I know them, and they know me. And then he goes on to say something even more staggering in verse 15. He goes on, he says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. What's he talking about there? Why does he bring that in as he's talking about how he knows his sheep and how they know him? He's comparing how the Father and the Son know each other with how the sheep know Jesus and how he knows them. How do the Father and Son know each other? How, how, does the eternal, how do the eternal persons of the Godhead know each other? Well, they've been in an eternal, perfect relationship of complete knowing and complete love forever and forever and forever. Jesus says, the relationship I have with my people is something like that. We can't exactly have it because we're not God. But it is, it is like that. It's, 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 it's analogous with that we are brought into the very fellowship between the Father and the Son when we know Christ, when He knows us. Calvin writes on this and says this, 
Christ simply declares that so far as He is the bond of our union with God, He is placed between Him and us. As if He had said that it is no more possible for Him to forget us than that He should be rejected or disregarded by the Father. You hear Calvin there, he said, it's no more possible for God to forget us than that Jesus should be rejected or disregarded by the Father. So here's a question. Would the Father sooner forget Jesus or sooner forget you? The answer is neither. It's as impossible for the Father to forget you as it's impossible for Him to forget His Son. It's as impossible for Jesus, your shepherd, to forget you as it would be for Him to forget His Father. He's the shepherd who knows us, loves us. Then Jesus goes on. Verse 16, He expands this truth. He talks about how He's going to not only know His sheep who are in Israel, but He's going he's to do this for all His elect. He's going to send out His Spirit. He's going to send out His apostles, build His church, and He's going to call in all the sheep that are His, all the elect, through His voice. He says in verse 16, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear My voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is going to go find every single one of His sheep. He's going to go make sure every single sheep that He knows comes to know Him. And that's why we're here, isn't it? We're Gentiles, most of us, I think. We're, we're not Jews, most of us. Right? The Word of God has gone out to the end of the earth, even here to Limington, and we've heard Jesus' voice. And we've come to know Him as His Word has been read or preached or shared with us. And He has come, He's called our names, and He's made us His own people. We've recognized His voice. So, loved ones, this is who your shepherd is. This is who your leader is. This is who your king is. This is who your pastor, the Lord Jesus, is. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for you, who knows you. What does this mean then? What does this mean for us? How does this apply? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He knows the sheep. Here's a few implications for the leadership, for elders especially deacons too. First, we see here a model for ministry. We are called to be under-shepherds of the Good Shepherd, and, and our, our shepherding should look like His shepherding. It should mirror it. We need to, like Him, lead not for His own sake, but for the sake of the flock and for the sake of the glory of God and the purposes of God. Not advancing any agenda of our own, but advancing God's kingdom. We need to know the sheep like like the way Jesus knows the sheep. We can't know them as He does, but we are to try to know them in a, in a mirror way. Knowing them, loving them, knowing their, the details of their lives, their cares and concerns. We need to do this. Finally, another, the third implication for the leadership. We are never to point anybody to ourselves. Uh, we are not really the good shepherd at all. We are under shepherds, and our job is not to point people to ourselves, but only to point them to the Lord Jesus. He is the one that we need. He is the one that uh, this church needs. Those are some implications and applications for church leaders. 
for the rest of us, for, for all of us, not just as under-shepherds, but all of us in the church, that means we should be praying for the, these things for our elders, for me, for the deacons too, that we would be leaders who are leading like this, who love you and know you and seek to know you better even as Christ does, and who seek to, to lead you to the Good Shepherd, not to ourselves, and to lead you for His sake, not for our sake. Pray that for us. We can't do it on our own. Pray it for us. It also means this. Remember that only Christ is the Good Shepherd. Don't set your hope on any human leader or friend or mentor, church leader or not. Uh, don't, don't set your hope and your trust on a parent or a pastor. Only the Lord Jesus is the Good Shepherd who can save you and lead you where you need to go. So trust in Him. Don't, why, why would we trust in any other leader? Right? What other leader has done this for us? Can be this good to us and this, this wise as He leads us? Trust in the Lord Jesus. Let Him dominate your heart and your trust. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice that You are our shepherd. We pray we would hear Your voice and follow You faithfully. We ask this for our Savior's sake. Amen.